Welcome to the City Boys podcast, where we talk about issues that are important to Washington cities. Today, I'm talking with our AWC legislative advocacy team, and we're going to get a session preview for the 2022 session. So welcome, Ledge team members, and can you please introduce yourselves? Candice, we'll start with you. Thanks, Brian. It's great to have this opportunity to talk with everyone about the session. I'm Candice Bach. I'm the Government Relations Director, and I cover the issues around budget, finance, open government, human resources, and pensions. And uh, I'm Carl Schrader. I'm the Deputy Government Relations Director, and I cover the environmental issues, land use, housing, and homelessness. Hello, everyone. My name is Sharon Swanson. I'm a government relations advocate, and I cover public safety, criminal justice, cannabis issues, liability, and some general government. And hi, everyone. I'm Brandi DeLang. I'm a government relations advocate, and I cover transportation infrastructure, broadband, and telecom. Thank you all for being here, and we're looking forward to your insights on the 2022 session. So, Candace, you may remember that back in February, March of 2020, this whole pandemic hit, and that was just at the end of the 2020 session. It certainly impacted the 2021 session with our first ever remote session. What do you anticipate being the logistics of remote versus in-person for 2022? Well, as everyone knows, this pandemic is the gift that just keeps on giving. And we've gotten kind of optimistic in, in 2021, back in like summer and fall, thinking that we really could very well have a, a primarily in-person legislative session for 2022. But unfortunately, with the developments this fall and into winter and, and new variants, that's not been the case. And both the House and the Senate just recently updated their plans for the session to make it really entirely virtual at this point. They've left some room open that should things change, you know, maybe they'll make adjustments about their procedures as they go through session. But for now, all of their committee hearings will be remote via Zoom. Their floor action time where they're voting on bills will be held remotely with just a few legislators on hand and a few staff on hand. And they will not be meeting in person with individuals. So we're back to basically what we did in 2021 with a fully remote session for purposes of public access. You know, just a little bit of good news mixed with that, maybe feeling a little bit disappointed is our members, our city officials really liked the ability to participate in this session and the legislative process remotely without having to travel all the way to Olympia. If there's any silver lining to this, I think that's it. Thank you, Candice, and I'm uh, looking forward to getting some of your remote-specific advocacy tips, but we'll, we'll uh, talk about that more towards the end of our discussion. And, uh, you know, we have, uh, I think, over 500 new, newly elected officials here in the state of Washington, and, and some of them may not be as familiar with the, the kind of yearly cycle, the two-year cycle on, on how the legislature meets. So can you talk about long versus short sessions and budget years versus non-budget years and what we're looking forward to in 2022? Sure. Um, so the legislature operates on a two-year cycle, a biennial cycle, and long years are odd years. So, and even years, um, 2022, are short years in the cycle. And so this is the second year of the 21-22 the biennial cycle and a short 60-day session. The, the long session in the odd years is when they adopt the biennial budget. 
So the short session year is when they update that budget with a supplemental budget. Often those are smaller changes. Often in a short session, we're not going to see them deal with huge new policy issues or new taxing issues. But there's always exceptions to those rules. And of course, in a short year and an odd, or excuse me, an even year like 2022, it's an election year with the full House and half the Senate up for election. And so their campaign season really begins as soon as session's over. And Candace, how does that campaign season, the anticipation of that campaign season, how does it affect the kind of bills that get introduced and passed in the session? Well, I think, um, you know, for city officials, this is maybe familiar, particularly those who run for office and have to campaign and you want positive things to campaign on and you want to avoid negative things in your campaign. So, you know, this is going to be maybe top of mind for those who are running for election or re-election that they are maybe not going to want to take votes on controversial items or votes on new taxes. Um, They're going to want to go into their campaigns with positives to talk about. And, you know, sometimes the good news on that is it's a good opportunity for them to want to deliver for their, you know, their home district. And maybe that's some capital projects or something that's important um, back home. But, you know, they're, they're looking at their campaigns and what, what kind of good news they want to talk about. Thank you very much, Candice, for that introduction. That's, uh, that's very helpful. And I'd like to get into some of the specifics so I'd like to turn to, to Brandy now. Can you tell me some of the things you're anticipating working on in this upcoming session? Yeah, well, thanks, Brian. So, you know, I think um, I was really fortunate in coming on to this session and being able to carry all three of the top priorities of our membership here. So we, you know, are emphasizing three key areas, transportation package, of course, since this unfortunately didn't happen in the last session, ensuring basic infrastructure funding. And then, of course, you know, one of the other pieces that also falls into transportation is our transportation benefit district um, and renewing that authority. And as I'm sure the membership is aware and others are aware, these are three of the top areas that our membership voted on and prioritized throughout our legislative committee. One thing to know is that we have two standalone bills specific to transportation benefit districts. And of course, we also know that there's some conversations happening around a local options funding bill that will also incorporate transportation benefit districts. There's, of course, a lot of talk about a transportation package where some potentials may happen for operational budget transfers to the transportation budget and what that may mean. Of course, we saw some indication from the governor's budget that there's some support around this. Of course, it was a one-time transfer in his budget, but I think that there are some legislators out there who are thinking about this in a more long-term sense. And then, of course, now with the federal infrastructure package being passed, there's going to be significant conversations around basic traditional infrastructure funding, as well as transportation infrastructure funding. And I suspect that we'll see a lot of those conversations happening actually post-session rather than during the session. Thank you, Brandy. And I've I've got a a couple of questions. One is that I'll just comment that I know that when we surveyed our members in the past, infrastructure funding is is often at the very top of the list for things that our local leaders care about. And as they're looking at the AWC legislative team to, to advocate on their behalf, do we get 
involved in specific infrastructure projects at the city level, or is this more broadly about getting funding for all of this? Yeah, that's a great question. And, you know, I think the easiest way to uh, answer is to say, no, we don't get involved in individual projects, but we certainly are advocating for the entire membership to ensure that there's dollars available so that they can hit those specific needs that they have at the local level. So, Brandy, what then would, would be a positive outcome for this session regarding transportation funding? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the key things that we're looking for is a new revenue source that's long-term and sustainable and that can be accessed by our by our locals, by local governments, so that they can use it in meaningful ways at the local level. Great, thank you. And uh, Brandy, any other uh, priorities or significant issues that you'd like to mention? Certainly. So, you know, in addition to basic infrastructure, transportation, and our TVD priority, I also suspect that broadband will become another hot point in this upcoming session. We already have seen a couple of pre-filed bills that are focused on grant funding for broadband deployment and also, you know, some pre-filed bills that are focused on the actual deployment of broadband. I think that, of course, as we're in this pandemic and folks are working from home and accessing their healthcare from home, it'll continue to be at the forefront of the legislature in trying to figure out how to really ensure that everybody is served and served with reliable, high-speed internet. Thank you very much, Brandy. And it sounds like you've got a, a full workload for this upcoming session. And uh, we'll move on to Sharon Swanson now. Sharon, can you tell us uh, some of the important issues that you're working on for this session? Thank you for the question, Brian. During the 2021 legislative session, two of the more controversial topics uh, dealt with the police reform and the Blake decision. And I'll very briefly describe those and then explain how that ties into what I'm working on this session. In regards to police reform, there were a series of bills that passed, I think a total of 13 or 14 pieces of legislation that passed the legislature, which ended, the session ended in April. Uh, most of the bills took effect in early July. And so, you know, when you make that many changes in that short a period of time, there are things that, uh, there are unintended consequences that can occur. Um, and so what we've spent most of the interim working on is gathering from our cities, our police chiefs, our city attorneys, some of the challenges they're having with implementing the, the police reform legislation that came that came through. And we've been working with uh, legislators to kind of explain what those challenges are and to try and craft some legislation in 2022 to clarify what exactly the legislature was intending to do so that we can get clear direction for our law enforcement agencies. So for instance, the legislation that passed limited when law enforcement officers could use force. And it limited it to uh, when an officer is arresting someone, they have probable cause to arrest someone or whether, uh, whether or not someone is going to be of imminent harm or threat to the officer or to the, the individual, to themselves. And so outside of those three specific categories, there's a lot of things that law enforcement are required to do. Some of those things include like community caretaking. So maybe your neighbor, you haven't seen your neighbor and you need someone to go over and knock on the door. Law enforcement may need clarification to indicate that they can force entry into the home to make sure that someone is okay. Another example that came up is whether or not you have an elderly, maybe a dementia patient who's agitated and law enforcement needs to use some degree of force to protect that person. So those are just some examples of, of clarifications that we're working with legislators on. Additionally, there was some conversation around less lethal alternative language, and we're working, like I said, closely with our legislators to clarify those, those questions that remain from last session. 
And then really briefly talking about the Blake decision, the Supreme Court decided, I think in February of last year, the statutes that penalize possession of a controlled substance as a felony uh, was unconstitutional. And the legislature, between February and April, when we adjourned, the legislature passed legislation that said that possession of a controlled substance should be penalized at the misdemeanor level. So that puts that impact squarely on cities because we have municipal courts and we handle the the misdemeanor penalties, um, along with a few district courts in the state. So a lot of the things I'm working on are getting funding to our cities to offset the costs of prosecuting those misdemeanors. We're asking for additional resources to create therapeutic court models in the misdemeanor court community so that they're set up to address addiction and substance abuse because that's going to be coming before us. We're also asking for some additional resources to create community response teams so that we can have law enforcement and mental health providers go out and help folks who are suffering from addiction and some of the related issues. And then the third piece, probably the largest piece of that conversation, relates to a statewide diversion tracking system. The legislation requires that people be offered at least two diversions when they're contacted by law enforcement if they're in possession of a controlled substance. And so we need to track who is being given a diversion, where they're being diverted to, and ultimately we want to know what those outcomes look like because we want to make sure that this change in public policy is having the desired impact and that we're truly helping people with their substance use. So that's a lot of information, but those are primarily the things that I know that I'll be focused on. But as my teammates here will remind the listeners, we also get hit with a lot of issues that we don't anticipate. So that's by no means all that I'll be working on. Well, thank you, Sharon. Those certainly sound like uh, complex issues and, and ones where we're trying to represent cities as they're, as they're trying to navigate some controversial and complex topics. So I appreciate your work on those issues. Next, we'll go to Carl. Carl, can you tell us what you're anticipating working on in this upcoming session? Yeah, sure, Brian. Nice to see you today. I think one of the things that we've been preparing for for several months now is a anticipated governor's request uh, legislation to um, preempt local land use authority around housing and promote a, a kind of a blanket approach to zoning in most larger cities in the state and even more specificity around transit stops. It's intended to pursue a goal that cities are very supportive of, increasing um, housing supply, better diversity of housing stock, access and affordability. Unfortunately, cities know that housing policy is is much more complicated than one blanket uh, zoning policy can fix. And so if we really want to see more diverse and affordable housing built in our communities, we're gonna have to do more than just provide the development authorization for it. We really need to be targeted and provide more resources to invest in the housing types that we want to see. Otherwise, the alternative is potentially diverting attention and resources from the solutions that will make a difference, which are locally tailored solutions and, and again, greater investments. So we're looking forward to educating the governor and legislators about the work that cities have been doing. We're going to need to see cities doing that work yourselves, talking to your delegations about the work that you've done, the successes you've had, and the barriers that you see. So that's going to be a pretty large conversation. It's um, gotten a lot of media attention already. One that hasn't quite received as much public notice, maybe, is the incorporation of the growth uh, climate change into the Growth Management Act, which is, has been a longstanding effort. I think there's you know a lot of opportunities for cities to consider climate resilience as they're doing their long-range planning, and this um, promises to come along with implementation funding. So it's something that we've been working with the sponsors on for over a year now. We're we're thinking that it's likely to pass this session, and uh, we will continue to support that as long as cities can get the resources needed to do the right work. 
And as, as Sharon mentioned, that's just a, a summary of some of the high points. We know that there will be a lot of effort and activity this session, and, and we're going to need everybody to be uh, tuned in and helping us um, tell your story. I think that that's where we're moving next with podcast. Thank you very much, Carl. And uh, Carl and I had the opportunity to talk uh, in, in reference to an upcoming City Vision magazine issue on housing. And I hope I'm not oversimplifying things here, Carl, but it sounds like there's an attempt sometimes at the state level to make sweeping changes that would affect all 281 cities in Washington with the hope that it's going to improve the housing affordability and the issue. And, and often it's just it's a subtler issue that uh, is better dealt with at that local level. Yeah, you know, the reality is, is that the approaches that are going to be successful in one community are not necessarily going to be the same as would be successful in another. And our policies need to be a little bit more nuanced than these blanket approaches we're seeing so far. Right. And I know that's in a lot of ways, that's what uh, this team is is fighting for on a bunch of different issues is the ability for our uh, locally elected leaders to maintain their ability to make decisions that work for their communities. So thank you all for, for giving some insight into the things that you're going to be working on in this upcoming session. And whether we have uh, these, these 500 plus newly elected officials or some of our more seasoned uh, mayors and council members, as we're approaching our, our second remote legislative session, I'd love to hear some, some tips and insights on how they can fight for their communities for this upcoming session. So anybody who's got, who's got a thought on this, I encourage you to jump in. So, Brian, the, the advice that we give to our city officials, whether the session's remote or not, it, it still holds true, and that's to communicate with your legislators, to, to take the time to reach out to them, you know, set up a Zoom meeting, or, you know, maybe they're not leaving home this session, uh, so maybe they're around and you can set up a in-person, you know, safely distanced get-together but just talk to them and tell them about your city and what your city needs are and what your concerns are. Don't overthink it. Don't worry too much about being an expert on the legislative process or an expert on the policy. Just talk about your community, your city. That's what they need to hear. That's what they want to hear. You know, you're the expert on your city and you don't need to worry about being an expert on anything else. That's helpful, Candace. So if I'm preparing for a discussion with a legislator, what, what should I focus on? Should I start Googling statistics on things? Should I be talking to my local nonprofits? How do I prepare? I want to, because I want to do well. I want to influence positively uh, my legislator during an upcoming discussion. So how do I prepare for that? So Carl, you are always great about talking to our members on this sort of thing, about telling their story. Yeah, thank, thanks, Candace. Brian, I think one of the things that I like to emphasize with our members is that legislators are receiving data and statistics nonstop. It's a fire hose of information is what people say. And so what will stick with your uh, delegation and, and your members is stories that are kind of crystallize an issue that illustrate why uh, one perspective is important or another. So I would really focus on that. Um, not to say that you shouldn't have the relevant statistics, and but I wouldn't overemphasize those. Uh, I think the stories are, are something that sticks in people's mind a little bit easier and is easier to relate to the colleagues um, to advocate for your position. Thank you, Carl. And I do wonder if I'm a local, a locally elected official and I have some experience when it comes to the housing issue, to police reform issue, to uh, infrastructure spending or, or some other issue that's important to cities. And I would like to perhaps testify at a hearing or uh, have my story shared through AWC. How do I kind of raise my hand and say, I I'd like to, to represent cities on this issue? 
Brian, that's great. We love to have city officials who want to be engaged at that level, who've got that kind of background, expertise. We've got really experienced and well-versed city officials on a lot of topics. Reach out to any of us and let us know you're interested in, in being part of those conversations. We are often looking for city officials to serve as panelists when we are when a bill is up for testimony or up for a hearing, um, so seeking testimony. So just reach out and let us know, and we're happy to plug you in. And of course, um, city officials, you know, you can track bills on the legislative website, just like we do. You can follow things through our legislative bulletin. Um, each week we'll produce that. It'll come out on Mondays. We do a weekly hot sheet of the, the hot bills that we're tracking. So there are, there's lots of different ways to kind of find opportunities to weigh in on things that they're interested in. And then we'll we'll work with you on testimony. Um, the, the key thing to remember about testifying in front of a committee, committee meetings are two hours long and you could be called on at any time during those two hours. So you kind of got to be willing to block out the two hours. And then you may only get to testify for a minute. And so there's a little bit of, um, you know, maybe cost benefit that you're weighing there as a city official. But th that testimony is, is still really important, even if it's a minute. Just the fact that a city official is willing to take the time it is, sends a message to the legislature. If you don't have the two hours for that one minute, sending an email is still a really effective way to get a lot more information across to a legislator or a legislative committee on a topic. So there's more than one way to have your voice be heard during the session. Thank you, Candace. And maybe to put it in a little bit of perspective, that two hours is a long time, but at least now I don't have to drive from Moses Lake or Spokane Valley or something to come over to Olympia to testify. Right. It's a, That is the trade-off. That's the silver lining. And finally, I'd like to ask, I know that session is, a, is an incredibly stressful time and you're all professionals and, and so you, you maintain your professionalism, but nevertheless, it's such a stressful time. What are some of the ways that you have individually to cope with the stress of session? Brian, that's yeah. a, a great question. We all, I mean, this is a great team. We have an amazing staff here at AWC and we do have a fun during session and even a remote session has opportunities for sort of handling that stress and, and being able to kind of laugh at the process sometimes because it's a, it's a strange and quirky process. We, I know for me, it's just, there's always those like funny bill titles that you're looking for. And sometimes it's like this bill title is the longest bill title I've ever seen or just the most specific bill title, or I've never even heard of this. You learn lots of odd things during session that you wouldn't normally otherwise hear about. So that's that's kind of my own little fun thing to keep an eye on during session. That's great. Sharon, what about you? How do you cope with the stress of session? Uh, well, I think, yeah, we all have interesting habits. And so we'll do things like have contests, longest bill title, which Candace has talked about. Um, when they read bills in on the floor of the Senate, they have to read the last lines. So you try and find the funniest compilation of last lines. We look for benefits for working remotely because it's hard for us. We love to in interact with people and that's just what we do. So um, I, I focus on what I'm calling the work mullet, which is professional on top and maybe not so professional on bottom with uh, shoes and comfortable pants. So we just look for little things like that to, to get us to laugh at least once every day and share with our compatriots. That's great. Thanks, Sharon. Carl, what about you? Well, I'll have to say that I, I like the change in dress code. You know, I like to keep myself uh, entertained. I think it's it's kind of stressful at times. So 
trying to keep it light and, and laughing with folks is really my main um, stress relief method. And it's a little challenging, actually, to be honest, in the virtual environment. You know, we used to be able to do fun things like, you know, go survey all of the lobbyists in public who were uh, sitting around waiting for legislative action on whether they preferred Twizzlers or Red Vines. By the way, Red Vines won in a landslide. Really? Um, yeah, not even close. <laughs> so, you know, there's a lot of, uh, you know, just Lee Gallo's humor like that. I like to pace around when I get really stressed out and do laps around the rotunda. I haven't really found a way to replicate that uh, in the virtual environment, but um, you know, hopefully this session will teach me some new tricks. That's interesting. I've, I've heard that the the term lobbyist comes from people loitering in the lobby, hoping to you know, hoping to influence legislators. So it, it's a real culture change when you're not literally in in any kind of lobby waiting around. Brandy, what about you? Yeah, you know, Brian, I think this is a great question. I think a lot of us have a lot of coping mechanisms through session. It tends to be a pretty stressful, high-paced period of time in our lives. And I really just find that stress eating my weight in M&Ms is where I most succeed in coping with that stress. <laughs> That's uh, great. That's great, Brandy. And you avoid the whole controversy of, of red vines versus Twizzlers that way. I'm just, you know, uh, tried and true. You got to well, go with the classics. And... and Pertinent to that, Brandy, when you say M&Ms, what are we talking? Plain, peanut, Well, you got to get some protein in there. So it's either peanut or protein, right? Yeah. Be a little health conscious. It's always amazing to me when I find out that people are voluntarily choosing peanut M&Ms. But it takes all kinds, I guess, Brandy. So we're, we're glad to have you on the team. Well, thank you all for your time. This has been a, a very enlightening discussion, and I think it helps prepare me and hopefully our listeners for the upcoming 2022 session. Thank you all. Thank you.